You're listening to the Judicial Watch Weekly Update with Tom Fitton. Hey everyone, Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton here with our weekly update on social media. Thank you as always for joining us this week. And of course, as always, there's a lot to talk about when it comes to government corruption. Uh, We never rest here in Washington, D.C. at Judicial Watch and across the nation because government corruption just continues and festers and never takes a holiday. Uh, But a lot going on. We have uh, filed two major briefs against the uh, growing left attack on our constitutional system which uh, is being achieved by advocating for discrimination as opposed to being against discrimination. So I'll talk about two big cases in that regard, plus a major lawsuit we filed on the worst corruption scandal in American history still, which is uh, the Obama-Biden administration deep state spy attack on President Trump. A lot to talk about there, and I will update you on the latest cover-ups by the FBI and the effort to hold Director Ray accountable by the Senate. Or is it really an effort to hold Ray accountable, or is it all just theater? Maybe I'll just start with that. I talked to you last week about how uh, uh, Senator Grassley, the uh, senior Republican senator from Iowa, uh, was uh, had uncovered two whistleblowers, or at least a number of whistleblowers at the FBI, who exposed that the FBI again was protecting Hunter Biden, again was protecting Joe Biden by trying to uh, minimize, hide, and thwart investigations into uh, Biden's essentially racketeering operation, or the Biden's racketeering operation, Uh, as disclosed in large measure through the laptop. And all of this was going on, again, uh, just a a month or two before 2020, coinciding with other efforts in Congress uh, by people like Adam Schiff and uh, in big tech to suppress information about the laptop that was first disclosed in the New York Post. So Grassley blew the whistle on that. And Director Ray, the FBI director who was appointed by President Trump after he fired the uh, corrupt FBI director, uh, James Comey, testified before the Senate Judiciary Committee. And he testified as he typically testifies, um, saying that he's troubled by some information while committing really to no strong action to uphold the rule of law, uh, excusing... um, or suggesting that he's not in a position to comment on the issues that are put before him. So uh, it was it was a, a hearing about nothing, practically speaking, unfortunately. Uh, and if there was, uh, it I wouldn't bother me so much if the Senate or Congress generally would actually hold the FBI accountable after the hearings. I recognize a hearing process is an imperfect way of holding someone accountable. Uh, Director Ray isn't a dumb bunny. He knows how to handle himself under adverse questioning. Most lawyers do. Frankly, you know, most adults do. Uh, it's just instinctive. And uh, so it's, it's not surprising that uh, he essentially uh, skates through most of these hearings. Uh, the frustration is that despite all the evidence of corruption, nothing changes. Uh, the Senate continues to fund the FBI fully continues to fund the Justice Department fully, and continues to, uh, and certainly the House does as well. 
And if I were running the Senate, or if I were running the House, or if I were president, and I saw this corruption, which is part of the corruption that was targeting Trump, protecting Clinton as well. So when you're talking about the FBI and the DOJ protecting Biden, you have to remember they were also protecting Hillary and they're targeting Trump improperly. So it's massive corruption and it shows that the FBI and the Justice Department can't be trusted with politically sensitive investigations because they're partisan and ideological. And you see this currently with, again, the targeting of Trump with unprecedented and absurd investigations into uh, whether he was involved in an insurrection or was improperly advocating for uh, uh, election, uh, the, the resolution of election disputes. It's incredible. It's never, nothing like that has ever happened. They've, they're blowing up the Constitution in order to target Trump. And then you've got the obsessiveness with the hundreds of prosecutions over the January 6th uh, 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 disturbance, while, for instance, the left, in absolute violation of the law, uh, targets and tries to intimidate Supreme Court justices, while the left targets pro-life centers, while the left targets churches, and the FBI and the Justice Department are, ver are AWOL on all those issues. So if you're on the wrong side of the political divide or the ideological divide, you can be sure the FBI and Justice Department will come after you. And Ray did nothing this week to reassure Americans uh, that he is uh, capable of uh, holding his own agency accountable, and that shouldn't be surprising. So it's, uh, this is why Judicial Watch is so essential, because the FBI can't police itself, won't police itself. For instance, the FBI agent who was responsible, according to the whistleblowers, in large measure for some of this suppression to protect Hunter Biden, uh, was, was posting anti-Trump material on social media. So it wasn't like it was a state secret where this FBI agent's loyalties or politics lay. And what happened? They didn't do anything. They only did something the FBI did, supposedly. They transferred them only after Grassley said something about it in one of these letters to the FBI as a result of the whistleblowers uh, disclosing information to them. So uh, we still have this rule of law crisis, and frankly, it's going to be up to uh, citizens and groups like Judicial Watch uh, to uh, demand action and accountability for this corruption. Not only do we need prosecutions of the bad guys, but we need agencies we can trust to do the prosecutions and investigations. Ray's testimony, just to bring you up to date, also disclosed that the FBI field office in Baltimore is on the Hunter case because it's supporting the Delaware U.S. Attorney's Office, which is on the Hunter's case. And as, as I said on uh, the news this morning, I was on Fox News, well, that's not reassuring. Sending a case like that up to a backwater, practically speaking, as far as the D.C. bureaucracy is, that shows you where the Justice Department is at when it comes to priorities. You have the president's son implicated in criminal activity, and the evidence is overwhelming. The president's also implicated. And what are they doing? They're outsourcing it to uh, uh, under-resourced agencies or offices in Delaware and Baltimore. The Washington field office is the FBI. We need a special counsel 
I know that's not the end-all, be-all, but that's what the rules require. It's what that happened for Trump. They appointed Mueller. And here you've got in-your-face evidence of criminal activity by Joe Biden, no special counsel. So we're still in a crisis. But, you know, Judicial Watch just continues plowing along. As I said, we filed a lawsuit uh, to get access to where Hunter's been by gaining access to Secret Service records. We filed a lawsuit against the State Department to find out records about what the State Department knew about Hunter's activities abroad, and who knows, maybe here. We already had information showing that the State Department knew Hunter was up to no good and that it was causing security issues, national security issues, in terms of our relationship with Russia. Judicial Watch uncovered that, disclosed not by FBI or the Justice Department or the corrupted media or the hapless Congress, but by Judicial Watch. So more is coming. And to that end, and on a related matter, uh, we are uh, again going after the Biden Justice Department over illegal secrecy designed to protect the Justice Department and the Hillary gang, the Obama gang, and frankly, as I said, the Biden gang from accountability for their misconduct. As he was leaving office, shortly before he left office, President Trump authorized the declassification and the release of key documents about the illicit spy operation against Trump and his associates. And those documents have yet to be released by the Biden Justice Department, even though they were specifically authorized for release. And we just sued for them. We filed for lawsuits related to the uh, declassification order and release order by President Trump for certain records related to Crossfire Hurricane, which is the technical term, the term, I think, uh, that um, corrupt FBI agent Peter Strzok came up with. He issued this order, and they didn't release the records. We asked for these records back in February of this year. All records related to the FBI's Crossfire Hurricane investigation that were provided to the White House by the Department of Justice on or about December 30th, 2020. So this was a batch of documents that they sent over to the president for him to review to decide whether he would declassify them uh, or otherwise make them available to the public. And then we cite the memorandum that he um, signed authorizing the disclosure, and I'll read you the memo in a minute. And then we want records about the decision to keep this garbage, I shouldn't say garbage, I don't know if it is garbage. Maybe it is garbage if you believe that the records will show corruption. I guess it's evidence of garbage, right? A garbage investigation. Of all records and communications between official, any official or employee of the DOJ and any other agency regarding the declassification and release of the records that we're seeking. So he... Um, he signed the memo just two days before he left, on, I believe on January 19th, 2021. And he'd authorized the disclosure, and excuse me, the declassification and release of these records. And here's the, here's the memo. By the authority vested in me as president of the, by the Constitution and the laws of the United States of America, I hereby direct the following. Declassification and release. At my request on December 30th, 2020, the Department of Justice provided the White House with a binder of materials related to the Federal Bureau of Investigation's Crossfire Hurricane investigation. 
Portions of the documents in the binder have remained classified and have not been released to the Congress or the public. I requested the documents so that the declassification review could be performed and so I could determine, I could determine to what extent materials in the binder should be released in unclassified form. I determined that the materials in the binder should be declassified to the maximum extent possible. In response and as part of the iterative process of the declassification review under a cover letter lever, excuse me under a cover letter dated January 17, 2021, the FBI noted its continuing objection to any further declassification of the materials in the binder and also on the basis of a review that included intelligence community equities identified the passages that it believed was most were was most crucial to keep from public disclosure. And he even granted that. He said, I have determined to accept the redactions proposed for continued classification by the FBI in that January 17th submission. So he's trying to get the information out, and still the FBI is trying to cover it up. I hereby declassify the remaining materials in the binder. This is my final determination. Final determination. So it's the law, practically speaking under the, the declassification review, and I've directed the Attorney General to implement the redactions proposed in the FBI's January 17th submission and return to the White House an appropriately redacted copy. My decision to declassify materials within the binder is subject to the limits identified above and does not extend to materials that must be protected from disclosure pursuant to the orders of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court and does not require the disclosure of certain personally identify information or any other materials that must be protected from disclosure under applicable law. Accordingly, at my direction, the Attorney General has conducted an appropriate review to ensure that materials provided in the binder may be disclosed by the White House in accordance with applicable law. So, translation, release the records. We've been fighting about this for years. I've listened to what the FBI has to say. I've listened to what the intelligence community has to say. They can keep certain materials still secret, but other material still needs to be released. Now, John Solomon, the investigative reporter, who's also been dogged in trying to get access to this information, he reported that uh, the documents include transcripts of intercepts made by the FBI of Trump aides, a declassified copy of the final FISA warrant approved by an intelligence court, and the tasking orders and debriefings of the two main confidential human sources, Christopher Steele, Hillary's guy, and Stephen Halper, Obama's guy, he worked for the Defense Department and the CIA, I think, the bureau used to investigate whether Trump had colluded with Russia to steal the 2016 election. So the seditious Obama-Biden and deep state campaign to spy on and abuse Trump is the worst, again, government corruption scandal in American history. And to make matters worse, the Biden DOJ simply refuses to release what are obviously smoking gun documents, because they wouldn't keep them quiet otherwise, about its corruption that the American people have an absolute right to see. So again, it's Judicial Watch doing this sort of basic heavy lifting to vindicate your right to know about this terrible corruption scandal. And they have records that would implicate the Biden, the Obama administration in misconduct. And of course, Joe Biden was at the scene of the crime there too. 
And of course, institutionally, the FBI and the Justice Department want zero accountability. So you've got that deep state interest in hiding this information as well. And once again, it's Judicial Watch in the forefront of this fight. We've uh, done more than virtually anyone else to uncover the truth about the spy operations against Trump. What did we uncover? We uncovered, for instance, the secret FISA warrants that were full of lies and material omissions that were used to fool the FISA courts into approving spy warrants on Carter Page and through him, obviously, the whole Trump team. There had never been FISA warrants, applications for FISA warrants had never been released publicly before until Judicial Watch sued and got them. We also exposed how the FISA courts, in an abdication of responsibility, didn't bother to hold hearings on these unprecedented and obviously controversial FISA warrants. Oh, you want to spy on the president? Oh, I don't need to have a hearing on it. You just give me the documents and I'll just rubber stamp them. We exposed that. We exposed key FBI 302 reports. What are 302 reports? Well, the FBI has this scam where they send agents to meet with you and they don't record uh, record what you say. What they do is they take notes and they go back and write a report, who knows when, after the fact, and that report is the official government document about what you said. Does that sound legit to you? It doesn't sound legit to me, but it's what they've been doing for years, and it's the records that we rely on in trying to gain access or figure out what they've been up to. And they've had these FBI 302 reports about Christopher Steele, about Bruce Orr, the DOJ official, whose wife worked with Christopher Steele and for the Clinton operation, who practically speaking had a desk at the Justice Department, our document disclosures have found. You know, when these documents showed that Bruce Orr and DOJ and FBI, they knew all about Christopher Steele in terms of where he was at, uh, in terms of being an agent of Hillary. We also found that Christopher Steele was an FBI asset and was being paid by the FBI the same time he was being paid by Hillary Clinton's campaign. It was a joint operation to target Trump. Judicial Watch uncovered that. All sorts of other things. Where I could go on and on, but you get the point. Where's Durham on all this? AWOL, as far as I'm concerned. So you can tell I'm kind of ticked. I was laughing at my colleagues beforehand. I'm hungry, so I'm really angry. But I'm also outraged at the corruption that we're uncovering. So it's a, it's a double whammy there. I'm outraged and hungry. But I'm also hungry for justice here. We need these documents. And so it's now been a year and a half, well over a year and a half, after uh, uh, Joe Biden came into the White House And they've been sitting on these documents that President Trump specifically, under the powers of the presidency, authorized the release of. And again, it's up to little old Judicial Watch to go in and take on the FBI DOJ Leviathan in federal court. And thank God that we're in America still, because I know we complain, but we still have the rule of law in some measure or in large measure. And they have to explain themselves now to a court as to why they're hiding this information from us. So no matter what, at least we're getting some accountability 
and we're going to force some answers as to this cover-up. Thank God for Judicial Watch. That's all I can say. Uh, on top of that, we've got this other crisis, and I've talked about it before, which is the left's attack, long-standing attack on the rule of law when it comes to the equal protection of the law. The left likes to pretend they're against discrimination. In fact, they embrace discrimination. They love it. The left likes to think they're against systematic racism or systemic racism, and they uh, smear all of America saying they're systemic racist, when in fact the only systemic racism that I'm aware of in the American system is in the college admissions programs that have been blessed, unfortunately, by courts that grants special preference to people based on race, an absolute violation of the Constitution and civil rights laws. And the fact that we're still fighting about this in uh, the year 2022 uh, tells you just how decrepit the left is on the morality and the constitutionality of discrimination that they pretend they're against when in fact they advocate for. And the biggest case in that regard is going to be held, uh, you know, uh, I shouldn't say the biggest case, a major case potentially on the order of, um, uh, it's so significant that it may actually overturn this whole uh, racial, racialism in admissions at the college level is coming up uh, and will be considered by the Supreme Court this term, or, or I should say next term in October, uh, when they will hear two cases concerning uh, racial admission policies at the uh, Harvard and the University of North Carolina. And Judicial Watch has been filing amicus briefs, trying to get the court to take these cases, and finally they did. We filed another amicus brief advocating for the rule of law here uh, and against the left's uh, racial uh, uh, quota system, essentially, uh, that is uh, ruining ruining higher education. And Judicial Watch uh, highlighted, and, the, and this is something that the court itself has to grapple with, just as it grappled with the outrageous Roe decision, there have been decisions by the Supreme Court that have outrageously pretended that discrimination is okay if it's for diversity's sake. And I encourage you to read our briefs here uh, because they go through to this decision, or go back to this decision, the Backey decision, B-A-K-K-E, uh, that just kind of threw everything up in the air. And since then, the uh, Supreme Court and lower courts, I think it's 26 cases we go through, have tried to grapple with uh, the inherent contradiction of the Supreme Court trying to mesh the prohibitions on racial discrimination in the Equal Protection Clause of the Constitution and the various civil rights statutes with the fact that colleges and other places were just radically opposing them and ignoring them by saying that race counts and should be taken into account when um, considering someone for admission. And if you're the wrong race, in the case of Harvard, uh, Students for Fair Admission uh, were highlighting the targeting of Asian Americans and Asians. You got the short end of the stick. So when the left says they support minorities, they don't. They don't support minorities. They support some minorities sometimes and discriminate and, and, and are happy to have processes and procedures that discriminate against other minorities.
Depends on, depends on what's happening to who and when. And of course, this pernicious racialism, it's part of this critical race theory approach that, again, that America is flawed because it's fundamentally racist. It's a Marxist attack on our system. And they pretend it can be fixed by raci racism and promotion of racism, treating people according to race than, as opposed to according to merit. And we saw this, and I encourage you to read the brief because we go through and expose the, the Supreme Court's enabling of this racialism. But we highlight how it's, how it's spread. And we, you know it's spread, critical race theory and all of that. And we talk about and highlight, and I'm going to read you a portion of the brief in this regard. Uh, the fact that it's spreading to all areas of government. If this court fails to reverse the backy line of cases I've talked about, the pro-discrimination line of cases, their flawed reasoning will corrupt the race-neutral application of the law in other areas. That this is, already hap that this is already happening to a considerable extent, and it can be seen in the explicit effort to replace the goal of equal opportunity with that of racially proportional outcomes. Some of the Biden administration's executive orders, for example, have replaced the term equality with the term equity. Thus, Executive Order 13985, issued January 20th, 2021, is entitled Advancing Racial Equity and Support for Underserved Communities Through the Federal Government. In that executive order, the term equity is mentioned 21 times and the term equality is not mentioned at all. On June 25th, 2021, Biden issued an executive order entitled Executive Order on Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Accessibility in the Federal Workforce. On October 19th, 2021, Biden issued an executive order entitled White House Initiative on Advancing Educational Equity, Excellence, and Economic Opportunity for Black Americans. Indeed, Vice President Harris has explained the difference between equity and equality this way. There's a big difference between equity and equality. Equality suggests everyone should get the same amount. The problem with that, not everybody's starting out from the same place. Equitable treatment means we all end up in the same place. So typically, that's a Marxist approach. Equality generally means, look, you all have access. You should not be denied access and denied opportunity based on race. E equity means you should be given things based on race. You should be given favoritism based on race. Equity equals discrimination. It's anti-American. It's un-American. It's anti-constitutional. It's unconstitutional. As we note in the brief, there is no constitutional guarantee that we all end up in the same place. These statements that we go through reveal a distorted view of the Equal Protection Clause that would guarantee racially proportionate outcomes under the name of equity, but not the equality of opportunity. The Equal Protection Clause is always guaranteed. 
These are no more, these are more than mere words or theories. Racial preferences have increasingly become incorporated in real world governmental decisions and policies. So these aren't just executive orders. The Biden Agriculture Department recently sought to use race as a basis, a basis for deciding who receives a government loan, forgiveness, for, uh, for, who receives a forgiveness for government loans based on race, com completely outrageous. I think that was thrown out on the basis of the fact it was racist, and discriminatory. New York issued guidelines identifying criteria to govern which COVID-19 patients are eligible to receive life-saving monoclonal antibodies and therapeutics. The criteria included that the patient is a, be a person of color or Hispanic ethnicity. So access to life-saving medical treatment based on your race? Yeah, and then we go on to say that this racialism is so destructive of the American way of life and so divisive. Increasing the number of minority admittees does not compensate for the constitutional injury inflicted on innocent individual applicants from non-preferred racial groups who are not admitted and the harm that the injury does to race relations generally. Legalizing the use of race and deciding who is admitted to schools of higher learning has caused enormous conflict in our society, including among even members of the Supreme Court. Justice Thomas' concern about the creation of racial resentment caused by race preferential admissions programs echoes the first Justice Harlan's concern about the seeds of race hatred being planted under the sanction of law by the segregated seating practices at issue in Plessy. So Plessy versus Ferguson is the infamous Supreme Court decision that blessed segregation. And now we have these modern Supreme Court line of cases that also bless racial discrimination by the government and its agents, namely higher education. Justice Thomas and Justice Harlan understand the non that non-preferred applicants become resentful when they learn that they were discriminated against. By prohibiting racial discrimination, the, ra the Equal Protection Clause reduces race-based discord and engenders unity. Our Constitution, when followed, everyone, remember, engenders unity. That's why the left hates the Constitution. They want disunity. They want to destroy and divide America. So when the Equal Protection Clause is interpreted to allow racial discrimination, I would say misinterpreted, the lawyers don't run the briefs by me before they, they, they file them, typically. <laughs> So when the Equal Protection Clause is interpreted to allow race, racial discrimination, the statutory purpose is diminished, if not destroyed. So they say they're, they're diminishing racial discrimination by engaging racial in racial discrimination. This destructive cycle of race preference and resentment must be ended for the sake of national unity. Do you agree? I agree. And I suspect there's going to be at least five justices of the Supreme Court that agree. Chief Justice Roberts famously said, and it's worth quoting, frankly, every weekly update, every time you talk about this online, I encourage you to quote Chief Justice Roberts, the way to end racial discrimination or the way to end discrimination on the basis of race is to stop discrimination on the basis of race. We've got to get out of this business of racial bean counting, quotas, etc.
We want our government to treat everyone equally. The left doesn't. So you've got this Harvard case targeting college students and engaging in discrimination against, frankly, anyone potentially who applies to schools throughout the nation. And then we've got this big case also in Virginia that Judicial Watch is involved in concerning Thomas Jefferson High School, which is um, a major science and technology school here uh, just outside of uh, Washington, D.C. and Fairfax, Virginia. Uh, it's known essentially as the number one high school in America, or so I've been told. Although I have a feeling there are other high schools in America who think they're the number one high school in America. But I guess, you know, based on grades and other content, that's, that's, that they, have got, they have alleged bragging rights. So what happened is, after the George Floyd protests, the leftists in Fairfax County who run the schools there, and the state is controlled by leftists or was at that time, they looked at the um, uh, Thomas Jefferson's student body. Now, Thomas Jefferson had selected its participants or its students uh, by um, typically tests. You took a test. If you did well on the test, you got in. So it was all merits-based. And they looked at the body, which was diverse, but it had the wrong type of diversity. It had too many Asians, Asian-Americans. So the leftists decided that's the wrong type of minority, and we need to change the system of selecting students to make sure there are fusion Asian, fewer Asian-Americans and more Hispanics and black children. Completely at odds with the way schools are supposed to be run. A system that target a minority to benefit others. And that's what they did. They did it with the help, obviously, at the local school district level, and they got support uh, from um, the Virginia governor's, uh, excuse me, the Virginia state government, as I said, that was controlled by the left at the time. And we went into detail. So what happened is you had a group of parents and students who were outraged by this destruction of that school with this racialism, this racist discrimination that was targeted at Asians. They sued, and a lower court said, are you kidding me? You can't do this. You can't say there are too many of one minority group and change the rules to punish them. Because they did change the rules. They pretended they didn't have a, a racial impact or a racial um, basis, but it resulted in less Asian Americans, Asian students being in Thomas Jefferson High School. And we, we filed an amicus brief. So they filed, uh, they won at the lower court. Uh, the leftists running Fairfax have appealed. So it's now before the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals. Just so you know, I just, I, I know sometimes I presume everyone knows how our federal court system works. And it's complicated, and I'll explain. So if you have a federal court case, you typically bring it at the district court level, which is the, uh, the first rung on the ladder. Uh, and those are just regular judges who are appointed by the president, and they sit and they handle cases individually. Now, if you get an adverse ruling and it's appropriate to appeal, then you appeal it to what is called the circuit courts, the appellate courts. And our, uh, our court system at the federal level is divided into circuits. So if you live in Virginia and Maryland, you're part of the Fourth Circuit. The District of Columbia has its own circuit, the, uh, which is the powerful D.C. Circuit. 
up in New York, you're part of the Second Circuit. I think up in northeastern New England, it's that's the First Circuit. Six circuits in the Midwest. What's down down? Uh, Texas is the Fifth Circuit. California and Company is the Ninth Circuit. Giant Circuit's too big. So you get the point. So all those, that's called the appellate courts. So the Fourth Circuit, which is generally controlled by the left, I don't know what the panel is here, uh, is now considering this uh, nakedly racist program uh, to punish Asian students for being successful. Uh, Judicial Watch uh, filed this amicus brief with our friends at the Allied Educational Foundation, uh, asking the Court of Appeals to affirm the lower court ruling Uh, that Fairfax County's public school's race-based admissions policy is unconstitutional because it improperly considers race. And this is how we recounted what went on. As the court recounted, and this is the lower court, less than two weeks following the death of George Floyd, Thomas Jefferson, uh, their principal, emailed the entire community at Thomas Jefferson, proclaiming that the demographics of Thomas Jefferson do not reflect the racial composition in Fairfax County Public Schools. The next day, a Fairfax County Public School board member emailed a local legislature describing her, quote, anger and disappointment, unquote, regarding the underrepresentation of black and Hispanic students and predicting there would be, quote, intentional action forthcoming from the county public school system. The records show that the board members admonished the superintendent that any forthcoming policy change needed to be, quote, explicit in how we're going to address the underrepresentation of black and Hispanic students, unquote. Later at a public meeting, another board member explained that, quote, in looking at what has happened to George Floyd, Fairfax County must now recognize the unacceptable low numbers of African Americans that have been accepted by Thomas Jefferson. So why are the numbers unacceptably low? Is it because the tests are racist? Is it because require, that's not the case. They just didn't like, again, the result. Now, if you're a public official and you see a school, boy, there's a lot of Asians in a school. We've got a big African-American community. We have a big Hispanic community. Why Why aren't there a lot of Hispanic students and black students in the school? Well, if they're not doing well on the test, well, why aren't they doing well on the test? Are we educating them well? What are the reasons for the lack of academic achievement that, pro, that prevent them from getting into this top school that requires a high level of academic achievement? No, no, no. That isn't how they operated. They said, we're changing the rules. We don't like the racial makeup and we're going to rig the system to guarantee a certain racial makeup. You sometimes hear disparate impact, and you should be suspicious sometimes because sometimes there are rules that are straightforward and neutral that um, have, quote, what the left would call disparate impact and should be questioned, even though they were just straightforward, neutral rules. In this case, these were not straightforward, neutral rules. You can see the racialism and racism. You know, I'm a nice guy. I don't like to call people racist, believe it or not. I know the left likes to use that word a lot because racism assumes that there's someone who morally just doesn't like people based on race. And I'm, maybe I'm too nice, right? 
So I guess racialism is my way of being nice. You can, you can, you can debate me whether I'm being too nice below. So we're asking the court to say, no, you can't, as the lower court said, you can't use this unconstitutional scheme to limit Asian enrollment in the nation's top high school. So you've got this. And what I love about the left is you say something like Wuhan virus or you talk about the Chinese origin of the virus, they accuse you of being anti-racist. The reason we had to take a break was because I was losing control of my chair here. I was like spinning out of control. But the reason, uh, what I find very interesting about the left's hypocrisy here, and I, I shouldn't, the left obviously is, is full of hypocrisy, um, but they don't care because they just, it's all power politics to them. So what may be hypocrisy to us to me is a feature of, uh, to them is probably a feature of their approach. So if you talk about the Wuhan virus or raise issues that the virus came from China, they accuse you of being anti-Asian even though you're just being factual. Uh, the same group, the same ideological cohort is happy to discriminate against Asians because they're Asians. Too many Asians in a high school, let's get them out. That is still going on in modern day America. And it's going on because the left has decided that discrimination is to be embraced to advance their revolutionary Marxist agenda. Let me be blunt. You see this with college admissions as we're talking about, with high schools. I've talked about the critical race theory attacks on America at our service academies like West Point. In Asheville, North Carolina, we sued in federal court, Asheville, the city of Asheville, because they had a, they thought they could get away with having a, a scholarship that specifically prohibited anyone but black Americans from applying. In California, we beat back California that was specifically mandating quotas based on race and sex and ethnicity and LGBTQ status. Two big lawsuits, two big wins for the rule of law against the left that wanted to blow up the rule of law. The pandemic and emergencies we need to worry about in this country aren't COVID, aren't the monkeypox. They're attacks on, it's the attack on the rule of law and our Republican form of government. You see it with critical race theory, the embracing of discrimination and violation of the constitution the effort to jail anyone and outlaw anyone who dares dispute, the left's um, view of election matters, the destruction of our borders, the, the invasion that's taking place, that's the crisis. And Judicial Watch is gonna stand strong to expose those crises, address them through litigation as best we're able, and Gosh darn it, educate the American people about what the true issues are as the left tries to uh, upend our constitutional republic. So with that, I uh, wish you the best. I will see you here next time on the Judicial Watch Weekly Update. Thanks for listening to the Judicial Watch Weekly Update with Tom Fitton. 
For more information, visit www.judicialwatch.org because no one is above the law.